Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today, we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each one of us. Peace be with you. Friends, on this sixth Sunday of Easter, we are coming to the end of the book of Revelation, the final book of the Bible. So as you know, I've been studying this book now with you the last several weeks because the church reads it all throughout the Easter season focusing with great attention on this final book in which the climax of biblical revelation in many ways begins. So the point toward which the entire story has been tending. And what do we hear tell of as the story reaches its culmination? We hear tell of a city. Now, I mentioned this last week too, but the Bible is very interested in cities. Think of Ur of the Chaldees, from which Abraham comes. Think of Babylon, Nineveh, Shiloh, Nazareth, Rome, to name just a few. Cain, the son of Adam, is called the founder of cities. And there's a whole universe packed into that little description, right? That the first murderer is the founder of cities. So the Bible wants us to think about that. The devil offers to Jesus as a supreme temptation all the cities of the world in their splendor. And of course, in the Bible, the city of cities is the former Jebusite town that David conquered and made his capital, trying to unite the north and south of the, of the um, kingdom. There he built the great temple, or at least he, he started the process. His son Solomon built it. That city on top of Mount Zion, I'm talking about the holy city of Jerusalem. It's hard to overstate the importance of Jerusalem in biblical revelation. Jerusalem, especially the temple, was seen by ancient Israel as quite literally the dwelling place of God on earth. I mean, they knew certainly in their theological uh, imagination that you know God is present to all things, and they knew that. But there was something unique about Zion because God chose to live there. It was the place where heaven and earth come together. It was the place of right worship, where God is given glory in the highest, and a rightly ordered community breaks out around that central act of worship. So Jerusalem, Jerusalem, where all the tribes go up. Jerusalem, where God dwells. Jerusalem, where the New Testament story comes to its climax, Jesus dying in the holy city. Well, one of the most glorious and idealistic descriptions of Jerusalem is found in the second chapter of the book of the prophet Isaiah. The prophet envisions God's holy mountain and imagines all the tribes of Israel, indeed, all the tribes of the world, streaming toward it. 
in that holy place, in that holy state of affairs, peace will obtain. And he uses these memorable images to express it, where people will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks, the instruments of violence into instruments of cultivation. Beautiful. That's that's the the purpose of Jerusalem is ultimately to gather not just Israel, but the whole world in a place of right praise and therefore a place of peace. Boy, everybody, if you want, there's the Bible in a nutshell, right? Isaiah opines that from this beautiful community, instruction will go out to all the world. Everyone will learn the way of peace. That's the vision. That's the vision. Now, was this in fact the case? (laughs) Well, of course not. Isaiah knew it, as did all of his prophetic colleagues. He was dreaming. He was prophesying. He was visioning what would be the case. Listen now. When Jerusalem, the holy city, truly lived up to its destiny. So it's like he was looking far into the future and seeing this vision. Well, how wonderful, how powerful, how mysterious and strange that Jesus' life comes to its climax precisely in the holy city of Jerusalem. And within eyeshot of the temple, on Good Friday, Jesus performs the perfect evening sacrifice, summing up a thousand years of sacrifice in that temple. He's raised from the dead in the holy city. He appears to his disciples in the holy city. He sends the spirit to them in the holy city. See, this was the coming together of divinity and humanity that Jerusalem was always supposed to represent. You want to see what the temple's finally all about? The first Christian said, look to the cross of Jesus. Look to the resurrection. Look to the coming of the Spirit. This was the great reconciliation that Isaiah saw looking from from the distant past. Isaiah saw all the tribes coming together. It would happen around the dying and rising of Jesus. Therefore, the first Christian saw that this beautiful community that Isaiah envisioned would start from Jerusalem. Now, this is anybody who claims the name Christian today should get your attention here. What started there in the holy city, in the place of the temple, on Mount Zion, what started there is now meant to spread, as Isaiah saw, all over the world. Now we understand someone like Shaul of Tarsus, who studied at the feet of Gamaliel, who knew everything I've been describing, and who became, once he saw the risen Christ, Paul the Apostle. In other words, his desire to establish churches all over the world. Now, we might look with a certain condescension at at the map and say, well, you know, Paul made his way around the eastern end of the Mediterranean and maybe as far as Rome. But see, for him, that was was his world. He was saying, I want to go everywhere I can to establish churches that have their origin and foundation in Jerusalem in the dying and rising of Jesus. 
This, this animated the missionary spirit of all the first disciples of the Lord. That a community of love, forgiveness, nonviolence, peace would flow from what happened in the holy city. That's, that's the church, if you want. Now, 2,000 years later, having spread indeed to all corners of the world. That's what they envisioned. Okay, okay. Now, against that backdrop, let's look at our reading for today. What does John see in this great vision on the island of Patmos? He sees, if I can put it this way, the future fulfillment of everything I've been talking about. He sees what the beautiful community, the new Israel, the church, will look like in its fullness as he sees the heavenly Jerusalem. Well, what do we notice about it? First of all, it's beautiful. I've often quoted St. Thomas Aquinas, who said, the beautiful occurs at the intersection of integrity, like wholeness, harmony, and radiance. All those gorgeous stones and jewels that John describes, they represent this spiritual beauty. It's important, isn't it? It's not just decorative, like, oh, isn't that a pretty sight? It's meant to symbolize the beautiful community, the beauty of this, of this new Jerusalem in its integrity, harmony, and radiance. Second thing we notice as the heavenly Jerusalem comes down, it comes as a gift as a grace. And boy, this is important. I think you know, my generation, we got such rhetoric after the council. I, I'm not blaming the council. The council got this really right. But after the council, man, it was like the church became the Tower of Babel because now we're building the kingdom. That's dangerous talk. Whenever we start playing that game of, hey, we'll with our you know economic and political reforms and we're going to do it, that's the Tower of Babel. You know, hey, we're going to build the, this tower all the way up to heaven. It's our project. Ugh, that's never it. It comes down as a gift from God. Whatever the church becomes is, is a grace, right? Now, we cooperate with grace, sure. But that's a different game. That's a different to tonality, right? But, but it's not something that we accomplish. The minute that starts, we're in trouble. So it's beautiful, it's a grace, the heavenly Jerusalem. Third thing we notice, it has a massive high wall. Now, everybody, listen to me. <laughs> Please don't mistake me here. I'm making no reference, direct or indirect, to Donald Trump and his wall. Okay, so I'm not talking about that. This is not a political remark in any way, pro or con Donald Trump. Okay, so please don't write me letters. That's Put all that away. I want you to think about walls in a biblical context. Because the Bible is actually rather interested in walls. Especially the walls that surround the holy city of Jerusalem. Think here in the books of, of Ezra and Nehemiah. So after the Babylonian captivity, when the, when the Israelites come back and they see, oh, it broke their hearts. They saw the walls of Jerusalem had been, had been breached. They had been destroyed. Remember the psalmist in that gorgeous passage encourages us to walk around Zion, count all of its ramparts, look at its, at its structure and its beauty. Now, here's what they're getting at. 
the core meaning of the Hebrew term for holiness is set apart or distinguished, right? To be holy, and God is supremely holy because he's set apart, unique, distinguished. Well, listen now. The holy city, the New Jerusalem, is indeed set apart from what? From the ways of the world. I mean, it excludes sin and hatred and violence and selfishness and ambition and greed and all the deadly sins. See, I mean, sometimes in the name of inclusion, which is the supreme value today, we can forget who we are and what makes us distinctive. God's manner of being, this way of love and forgiveness and compassion, nonviolence, is a unique manner of being. There's a wall around it. It excludes other forms of being. As I've said to you before, the church, in Greek, the ekklesia, from ekkaleo, meaning called out from, right? The church is called out from the world. And so the heavenly Jerusalem, with its beautiful walls, symbolizes this distinctiveness. Now, one last detail. There is no temple in the heavenly Jerusalem, which seems at first glance extremely strange because the temple was the main reason people were interested in Jerusalem, right? But see, the point here is of central importance. <clears throat> there is no temple in the heavenly city, for the city itself in its entirety has become a temple, a place of right praise. Think, as I said, of all that happens in cities, sports, entertainment, business, finance, government, friendship, conversation. In the heavenly Jerusalem, all these activities are ordered to God. The whole of life has become an act of praise. Ah, and with that, the Bible comes effectively to a close. For now we see what God in Christ has intended from all eternity to bring about. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.